0: Today our scripture is from the book of Micah, chapter 1. The word of the Lord came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. Hear, you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth and all that is in it. And let the Lord God be a witness against you, the Lord from his holy temple. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire, like waters poured down a steep place. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. What is the transgression of Jacob? Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country, a place for planting vineyards. I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste, for from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. For this I will lament and wail, I will go stripped and naked, I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches, for her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah, it has reached to the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. Tell it not in Gath, weep not at all. In Bethlehophra, roll yourselves in the dust. Pass on your way, inhabitants of Shepher, in nakedness and shame. The inhabitants of Zeanan, do not come out. The lamentation of Bethesel shall take away from you its standing place. For the inhabitants of Maroth wait anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gates of Jerusalem. Harness the steeds to the chariots and habits of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion, for in you were found the transgressions of Israel. Therefore you shall give parting gifts to Thank you, Morsheth Gath, the house of Axzib, shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you, inhabitants of Mereshah. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam." Make yourselves bald and cut off your hair, for the children of your delight, make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. Let us today hear the word of the Lord.
1: We, we are watching a lot of injustice on the news these days, aren't we, friends? Yeah. We, we really do live in a world riddled with injustice, when you stop and think about it. Rulers gain office through rigged elections. Elected authorities line their pockets at the people's expense. Court systems treat people differently because of their religious convictions or the color of their skin. Countries grab land through brutal wars. The, the list just goes on and on and on and on and on. But friends, in, injustice, please hear this, is not limited to what's around us, okay? It's also found within us. We, we harbor bitterness, or we hoard our possessions instead of practicing generosity, or we We show favoritism or refuse to submit to the authorities God establishes. And in countless ways, we fail to treat our neighbor in keeping with God's moral standard. Injustice. And that's ultimately not a Russian problem or a white problem or a rich people problem. You know what that is? That's a human problem. Which means it's not a new problem. If you're not familiar with this book of Micah that Bob read from earlier, it squarely addresses the issue of injustice. And not, not once or twice, but, but again and again and again. It's, it was written by a Jewish prophet of the same name, Micah, during the second half of the 8th century. So I think the last part of the 700s or so. And and his name literally means in Hebrew, who is like the Lord. And that fits the theme of the book, frankly. (laughs) Because Mike explains that that all the injustice in Israel, that's his focus. All the ways her social relationships failed to, to uphold the covenant requirements of God's law is all of that is rooted in a far greater problem than her relationships with one another. It's rooted in a problem in her relationship with God. That's Micah's point. With Yahweh, the the Lord God to whom Israel must give an account. And over and over again in this book, Micah asserts two things about Yahweh. He is a God of justice and he's also a God of mercy both equally so and and the structure of the book actually shouts that reflects both aspects of his character so you could divide this book up into three sections we're not we're going to do this in more than three sermons because you'd be here for a long time but there are three big sections each one starts with a command from the prophet the lord speaking through him to israel to hear israel hear Pay attention. And each of these sections begins with a word of judgment and then ends with a word of mercy. Judgment, mercy. Judgment, mercy. Again and again. And and by the end of the book, if you've read through this before, the, the central message is crystal clear. Okay? Injustice is only a problem God can solve. That's the message of Micah. We need Jesus to make us just King's way, To cleanse us from sin and, and empower us to walk in righteousness only when God graciously restores our relationship with himself will you and I ever be able to love one another as he has loved us. Translation, the message of Micah is basically the message of the gospel. <laughs> but Micah doesn't Open by talking about Jesus and salvation or, or giving us an upbeat word of hope. Maybe you felt that as Bob was reading. He spends the entirety of chapter one delivering a sober warning. And because that's where the word of God camps out, that's where I'm going to camp out. Because we're a church that's under the authority of the word of God. Here's the point of the whole chapter. The Lord is coming to render justice through divine judgment. The Lord is coming to render justice through divine judgment. That's not a a feel-good message. But that is an exceedingly important message, church. Because God is holy. He is the moral standard. And God is righteous. He he perfectly conforms to his moral standard. And God is just. He, He requires all those who bear his image to likewise conform to the moral standard. And so in a world filled with injustice, here's what Micah Shouts! There there is a God in heaven who personally ensures justice will prevail. And that's exactly where Micah begins. Point number one, God's judgment is certain. Verses one to seven. Look at verse one carefully with me. Let's not be a people that skip over the opening verses of anything. Because verse one reminds us how scripture works, Mike included. Notice there, what did the word of the Lord do? It was active, you see. It came to Micah. In other words, the the truth about God never originates within us or the principles of human reason, okay? It's found outside of us, and it must come to us, always. And in this case, the the Spirit superintended Micah's thoughts and words such that he said exactly what God wanted him to say. And the message he delivered came to Israel at a particular time. Notice that. In the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. Quick background to get you oriented Okay, After the reign of King Solomon, son of David, Israel divided into two kingdoms. So you've got got a northern kingdom whose capital was Samaria, often called Israel, the kingdom of Israel. And you have a southern kingdom of of Judah whose capital was Jerusalem. And and though Micah was from Judah, the southern kingdom, God gave him a word for the entire nation, which, don't get confused here, he often refers to collectively as Israel, or Jacob, okay? And it was a difficult time for God's people when Micah was prophesying. So you have a, an Assyrian king named Tiglath-Pileser III who was known as Assyria's Napoleon, just to give you a perspective. He began harassing the northern and southern kingdoms. So it's the equivalent of Russia massing troops on the border of Ukraine. But notice this right out of the gate. When, when life is scary, what does God do? He gives us the gift of his word. You see that? He gave his people the gift of his word. It's a word that, that orients us, friends, in uncertain times because the word of God defines reality. It's a gift of grace. It was exactly what Israel needed. It's, a, it's what we need, too. And, and in case part of you is wondering, Matthew, how could a book written to a little nation in a small corner of the ancient Near East some 2,700 years ago have anything remotely relevant to say to me today? I want you to remember two things, Okay. First, God hasn't changed. Okay? God hasn't changed. He's, what, is, what does the word of the Lord tell us? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when Micah tells us something about who God is or what God is like or how he relates to the world he's created, that hasn't changed. Same God today. Remember that. Here's the second thing, okay? We haven't changed. (laughs) Risk of stating the obvious. I mean, sure, we have iPhones and they didn't. But who we are at the core, right? Our joys, our sorrows, our desires, our our spiritual temptations, none of that is any different. It plays out in a different culture, but it's no different. First Corinthians ten, eleven. Now these things happened to them, to Israel, back in the day, as an example. But they were written down for our instruction, on whom the end of the ages has come. And Micah, though he didn't write that, Paul did many years later. Micah recognizes as much right out of the gate. Though he's addressing a particular people, he he realizes that the word God gave him applies to every human being on the face of the earth. Why? Because the God whom he serves is Lord of every place on earth. Look at verse two. Hear, you people, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it, and let the Lord God be a witness against you. What's a... What's a witness? Just think about that word for a second, okay? A, a witness is, is someone who sees, right? Somebody, somebody who knows something. Someone who has first-hand knowledge of what happened. Micah immediately thrust us, so to speak, into the heavenly courtroom where God himself bears testimony. Not, not just against Israel, but, but against The whole earth. Why? Because God is a God who sees. The God who created you, friend, whether or not you're serving Him, is still a God who knows. Psalm 139, verse 1 O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You, you search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. Everything you've ever done or not done, everything you've ever said or not said, everything you've ever thought about in your mind or, or looked at with your eyes, friend, God knows. He's kept track of all of that. And that's a terrifying thought. Because God isn't an idle observer or a peeping Tom or, or, or a cosmic busybody. He he is the holy and righteous judge of the universe. Verse two, let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temple. Remember what I said earlier, for God to be holy means what? He is the moral standard. So whatever conforms to his character is good. Whatever does not conform to his character is evil. And what what does our holy God do in response to evil, to the pride in our hearts that does life our way instead of God's way? Look at verse three. For behold... The Lord is coming out of his place and he will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. What's that say? That God is both, Yahweh is both, a witness and a judge. A perfectly holy judge at that. Who will never ignore or overlook or remain morally neutral Toward the injustice of men. Toward all the ways we, we fail, friends, to conform to God's law and act in attitude or in nature. Not for one moment in history has the God who made you ever been indifferent to that. He's a judge, Micah says, who what? Who comes out. He doesn't hold back. He's not chilling in heaven. He's a a judge who comes down. He's He's a judge who treads upon every human power and principality, men, women, children alike. None are exempt. None are spared. All are accountable, and that includes you and me. Hebrews 4, verse 13. No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. What happens when God comes out and down to judge the earth? Look at verse 4. What does Micah say? The mountains melt. What an image that is, friends. I, I have seen some big mountains in my time. That the strongest, most seemingly immovable things in the created order just disintegrate. Before their maker. Micah continues the the valleys, the the habitable places on earth where where men dwell, they're they're split open. The the life we've lived apart from God will be exposed in in all its wretched wickedness. From, From the highest of heights to the deepest of depths, there is no escaping. The Holy One. He, he can't be avoided and, mind you, He cannot be doubted or denied out of existence. When when he judges the earth, the entire created order and all human civilization with it is what? Like wax before the fire. Like like waters poured down a steep place. Have have you ever stood right next up real close to a thundering waterfall. I'm not talking about like a Shenandoah National Park trickle in the fall, okay? I will never forget the time I stood on a precipice overlooking Victoria Falls, Zambia. What watching is a, a river a mile wide plunged off a cliff 35 stories tall. It's an overwhelming display of power. And resisting the justice of God is is like trying to stand beneath Victoria Falls. It's not just unwise. It's impossible. You can't do it. You'll be crushed. Mike is saying God's judgments are, are no less decisive, no, no less certain. God's judgments are certain. He camps out here. And if he had stopped there, I think everyone in Judah would have been nodding their heads in approval. That's right. He's a God of justice. Assyrians... Uh, they, they would have been convinced Micah was, was talking about the bad guys. I mean, is it, isn't that when we think about injustice, isn't that the first thing that comes to your mind? It's, it's never us, right? It's all the bad people. It's the other people. I, I, no, injustice? Oh, yeah. Look at that. Doubtless, that's what they were thinking through verse 4. But then look at verse 5. Right before the nation begins to cheer, Micah takes a turn. All this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. And then he calls out the capital cities Samaria and Jerusalem. You know, in the prophets in the Old Testament, high places, if you're not familiar with that, we're, we're locations in Israel, typically the top of hills or mountains, where, where the Jews practiced idolatry, where they worshipped pagan gods. And Micah says that, that Jerusalem, the city God chose, as his very dwelling place on earth, has become what? The high place of Judah. One big city of idolatry. Well, what's the point? That the Lord holds those who, who consider themselves part of his people accountable. No less than all the other nations that want nothing to do with him. Micah is reminding the forgetful people of Israel, our God never turns a blind eye to sin. Ever. Including sin among the supposed good guys who are sending help to Ukraine. It might be a little deal to you or to the friends around you. Everyone you know might think of you as the good kid. I grew up thinking of myself as a good kid, relishing all the anecdotal comments from others around me and to my parents about me, praising me as the good kid. But let me tell you, as a good kid, the sin good kids commit is a big deal to God. A really big deal. And in the Western world, let's go here. What do we say? If you have mutual consent, tracking and no one gets hurt what is anything we do it's all good right that kind of attitude fails to ask the most important question what's that What does the judge of all the earth think what is the God who sees and knows everything you did last night think Even if your parents don't know. that The capital of Samaria, northern kingdom, was built on a hill 300 feet high. And in response to her unrepentant sin, God God promises what? That he's going to destroy the city. Look at verse 6. His, his judgment is, isn't this kind of abstract, well, I've sort of set up the world so if you don't do things my way, in general, things won't go well for you. No, it's, it's deeply personal. Look at verse 6. Verse 6, I will make Samaria a heap. Not Samaria will happen to turn into a heap. And I will pour down her stones into the valleys. The, the false gods she, she trusted to deliver her broke into pieces. The unjust wages she earned by oppressing the poor burned with fire. Why? Because it was all the fruit of, end of verse 7, spiritual prostitution, spiritual adultery, unfaithfulness to God. In other words, the problem of injustice runs way deeper than outward behavior, what, what would the, it's just outward behavior sound like? Well, sorry about creating that golden calf. Or sorry about cheating that widow. No, 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 no. The, the problem, our problem, their problem is that they failed to trust and honor and serve the Lord who redeemed them out of Egypt, that they might be a people for His own possession. That's the problem. And, and trusting other people or things besides God to give you life is folly. Because all of our chosen idols, what, what do we worship? What are our high places? Reputation, money, business success, sexual pleasure, entertainment. None of those things will stand in the end, Front. All of them will be judged. They, they too will be exposed as what? A false God. A feudal refuge. They, they will they'll disappear like sand between your fingers on the day you stand before your maker to give an account for your life. The judgment of God against every sinner, every injustice that, that denies or denigrates His absolute holiness is certain. Point one. And in verse eight, Micah helpfully transitions to guide us in the right response. Point number two, godly sorrow is the right response. It is the right response. I I think... We can respond every, to, to everything I've said thus far. Emotionally. In several ways. You can get angry. I have a right to live how I want to live and I'm not going to let some crazy Christian tell me what to do. Other people just get numb. You know, he- Hearing about God's judgment is like watching a scary movie wow, that's pretty freaky. I hope that never happens to me. You know, But then the lights come on, the cell phones come out, and we laugh and go on to the next thing. Still others become self-righteous. Right? Boy, it sure feels good to know Russians and liberals are going to get what's coming to them. What... What is the right emotional response to the certainty of God's judgment? It's not those things, friend. It is a cry of lament. It's godly sorrow, okay? It's a a heart-level response. That grieves our guilt before the judge of all the earth. Both personally and socially. And compels us to humble ourselves before him in a spirit of contrition. Look at verse 8. For this, everything in verses 2 through 7, I will lament and wail, Micah says. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and and mourning like the ostriches for her wound is incurable. Judgment is certain. And it has come to Judah. It It has reached to the gate of my people to Jerusalem. Now remember this, unlike many of his countrymen, Micah was faithful to Yahweh. He, he had good reason to hope in the, the promises of redemption that we're going to get to later in the book. Yet notice, even he didn't, didn't respond to his own prophecy with a kind of, well, whew, at least I'm good attitude. His heart broke for God's people. His heart broke for those who, who bore Yahweh's image. And yet refused to submit to his authority. Micah warned them of imminent judgment, but he did it through tears, friends. To which I simply say, Would, would that we had the same compassion for our friends and for our family members, for the people we walk by and route to our cubicle. Every day. That's how Jesus responded. You know. Luke 19.41. And when Jesus drew near and saw the city, Jerusalem. He wept over it. Saying, would that you, even you. Had known on this day. The things that make for peace. But now. They are hidden from your eyes. Does the coming judgment of God cause you to weep too, friend? Is that the effect it has emotionally? Does it compel you like Micah to to lovingly warn those who need to hear that? Micah couldn't stay quiet. His affection for God's people compelled him to speak and I think it's important to notice at this point in the chapter that it's not hard to feel sorrow when we look at all the social injustice in the world okay plenty of non-Christians who know nothing of and want nothing to do with Jesus feel sorrow over what's happening in Ukraine. But that's not where Micah begins. That's not the main thing he's lamenting. Because all the brokenness in our world, what does it do, friends? It reflects something of greater moment than our actions toward one another. What's, what's it reflect? What's it point to? It it reflects the injustice, the sin all of us have committed against God. And the judgment we deserve as a result. That's, that's the sorrow, see? That's the grief that should fill our hearts more than any other. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Godly sorrow is the right response. And in the second half of the chapter, beginning in verse 10, Micah implores his countrymen to follow his example. Guys, weep with me. Lament with me. He he addresses a list of cities that are facing destruction and exile. And know this, he's not exaggerating. Okay, within a few short decades, the Assyrians sacked Every one of them. That's known archaeological fact by 701 BC. And nearly every place he warns contains a a play on words in Hebrew that, that laments both the poetic justice of God's judgment as well as the futility of saving ourselves. I'll give you some examples. So in verse 10... Micah tells Bethlehem or house of dust to roll yourselves in the dust. He warns Shafir or beauty town in verse 11 that, that she will soon be let out in what? Nakedness and shame. And the inhabitants of Zanan or going forth town will not go forth into battle against the Assyrians. They, they will be what? Paralyzed with fear. Whatever standing place, or military security, Bethazel or house of taking away enjoyed, or offered to others will be taken away by lamentation. They'll they'll be too racked with sorrow to help their neighbors, and even the inhabitants of Morath or Bittertown, look in verse twelve, will wait in vain for news that is sweet. Or good. Why? Because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. Israel, Yahweh, can't be stopped or deterred. His his judgments will prevail. And in verse 13, look there Micah tells the inhabitants of Lachish, which sounds like to the steeds or to the horses in Hebrew to harness their chariots to the steeds to flee the Assyrians. And and ironically, in 1 Kings, we learn that Lachish was one of the first chariot cities King Solomon built, where he gathered and and stored up chariots and horses and more chariots and, and more horses in direct disobedience. Of God's command. Why? Because the Lord had told Israel, had told Solomon, do not accumulate many horses for yourself. Don't don't amass military power like all the rest of the nations. Do what instead? Trust me to defend and save you, Solomon. But they didn't do that, they built Lakish. And indeed, that was the beginning of sin, as Micah says, where Israel's trouble started. It's where our trouble begins too, friends. What do we do? We we look to to human power, human strength, human wisdom, or or human resources instead of trusting the Lord. We do the same thing. We we build a lackish. Isaiah 31 verse 1, woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. In verse 14, Michael warns Morisheth Gath, which sounds in Hebrew like one who is betrothed or engaged, that, that she will receive a dowry or parting gifts. She, she would soon come under the authority of a, of a new husband, so to speak, the king of Assyria. And all the rest of the Jews would be required to, to give her a dowry, to give the Assyrian king tribute as he took the people of Morish Gath away. The house of Akzib, or, or deceit will be a deceitful thing, a a vain refuge to to all the kings of Israel who look to that city for safety. The the word Micah uses there is the same word found back in the book of Joshua to to describe a a dry riverbed where you have thirsty, weary travelers who approach it and are just completely devastated and disappointed. No help. And in verse 15, Micah tells Marashah, which which sounds like the word for conqueror, that she will herself be conquered by one the Lord brings against her, reminding Israel of what? Ultimately, it's not the Assyrians who are judging us. It is the sovereign Lord of hosts using the king of Assyria to bring his judgments to pass. And as David took refuge in the caves of Adullam from King Saul back in Samuel, so too the, the glory of Israel, the leaders of the people will, will scatter, desperate to find an escape. How? That's how Micah tells his countrymen to respond. Kingsway, how should we respond when we're confronted with the judgment our sins deserve? Look at verse 16. Make yourself bold and cut off your hair. Micah is not being funny or coy when he says that. He's not making a bold person joke. (laughs) That, That was a cultural expression of profound grief and mourning. In other words, what do we do when when we're confronted with the judgment our sins deserve? What do we do? We need to repent, friends. We need to repent. That's the call. The end of the chapter. We need to repent. We We need to embrace a godly sorrow for the sins we have committed. That's critical, it's necessary, it's biblical. It's required because unless something changes, Micah warns in verse 16, that the children of your delight, members of your own family will, will suffer the consequences. You realize sin is always like that, friend. It's always like that. Whenever you and I choose to, to ignore or just put away or pay no attention to, to God, to what he requires of us, we disobey his commands, it will always Always have a profound effect on the people that are closest to you. Don't don't believe the lie that you've already made the choice and I guess you're going to suffer the consequences, but that those consequences, the judgment of God is somehow limited to your own little life. It's not. It's not. We, We are social creatures God has put us in community one of us wanders away from the Lord it affects all of us friends Micah begins with a really sober warning the Lord is coming to render justice through divine judgment and the same warning applies to us friends the same warning, whether it's on the day you die or, or the day Christ returns, if that happens before you die, every one of us must appear before the judgment seat of God. Every single one of us. And, and the justice of God himself, hear that. This is Micah's point. Ensures nobody is going to get away with anything. Ever. And that warning is a precious gift because it's true, because it orients us. So where do we turn with that? If you you feel anew this morning, the reality of that warning, Friend, you cannot flee from him. But you can flee to him. Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. We sang that this morning. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord who could stand but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared the certainty of god's judgment is not meant to leave you in a permanent terror of god or being afraid Of God. It is meant to lead you to repentance, to lament, to godly sorrow, that you might know His forgiveness and learn what it means to truly fear the Lord. How do we know that? How how do we know that when we respond to the conviction of sin, the certainty of God's judgment in places like Micah 1 by crying out to the Lord for mercy, that He will actually answer our plea and do what He The words of Micah 7 promises to do to pardon our iniquity, to pass over transgression, to to cast all our sins, Micah says, the very end of the book, into the depths of the sea. How do we know that? Is that more real than chapter 1? What's more real? Friends, we know that because of Jesus. Okay, Micah 1 shouts, we need a Savior. What does the entire rest of the Bible shout back? Jesus is that Savior. So, so when your soul is grieved by the weight of sin, when when your heart trembles over the divine judgment you know you deserve, do this, friend. Look to the cross of Christ. Look there. See see Jesus, our great Savior, receiving in his body and soul All the wrath your sins deserve. Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. This is the justice of God. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Repentance begins with godly sorrow, but it never stops there ever. It leads to the joy of forgiveness through the blood of Christ In other words, disaster justly came down from the Lord on Christ. That mercy might justly come down on you because of him. That's the gospel. Kingsway, do not ignore your sin or the reality of God's judgment. Think often of the judgment you deserve. And look just as often to the Savior who was wounded that you might be healed. Micah, no less than the gospel doesn't begin with good news. begins with bad news but but that warning, that that threat, that sobering reality is exactly what we need friends, to send us running to Jesus, not once at some past point in your life that you can barely remember because your head now is almost literally bald. <laughs> but again and again and again and again, the, the Christian life, as Martin Luther so wonderfully said, is a lifelong act of repentance. May we do that again and again. Let's pray. Thank you for warning us, Lord. Thank you for warning us. As a parent in love warns their child, don't run into the street. As a father in love tells his little boy don't just jump into that pool so your word is filled not, not only with promises but with warnings and Lord Jesus I ask that that wherever we are this morning in our relationship with you following you discouraged in the fight completely uninterested in you, here because a friend just dragged us in and we thought it'd make them happy. You know all that. You see all that. Lord, wherever we are in relationship with you, would you help us to heed the warning here to take sin seriously, to to respond by lamenting the judgment our sins deserve and to take great care that we are responding with godly sorrow for the only path to Christ is the path of godly sorrow. There is no other. Thank you for reminding us of that today, Lord. Thank you for being a just God. Thank you for the comfort of knowing in a world filled with injustice that your judgments will prevail. And that includes your judgments on the injustice within us. May that send us running to Jesus, I pray, Father. Thank you for the gift of your broken body, your shed blood. As we prepare to share that meal, help us to run to you. Amen.